Well, we're going through a sermon series in the book of Acts. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. In a moment, we're going to get to Acts chapter 5. Before you open up those Bibles, though, uh, last week, if you were here with us, we shared this was a moment where all the apostles were arrested. They were told not to preach in the temple. And immediately, they, after being freed by the Holy Spirit, uh, as those chains were broken, as doors were open, they went out and they shared the good news. And they're dragged back in, and Peter gives a very passionate, bold response to the high priest, and then things get worse. But before I read the text, I've got a question for you, a question I've never asked from the pulpit before. What are you going to do? when your friends start getting physically hurt for following Jesus? How are you going to respond when your friends are going to get beaten for their faith? Have you planned it out? Before we get to Acts chapter 5 and see how those first followers of Jesus responded when they were beaten for their faith, I want to introduce, there's a a fascinating concept that's been identified that that all of you experience pretty much on a daily basis. It's called the familiarity principle. Technically, it's referred to as the mere effect principle but easier to remember as the familiarity principle. It's been studied all the way back to the 1600s and really gained steam in the 20th century. It's really pioneered in some longitudinal studies. But basically, the whole premise behind this principle in social psychology is this. The more that you see something, the more that you're around something, the more familiar you are with that thing. And by definition, the more familiar you are with that thing, it's been proven, the more you'll like it. What's so fascinating about the familiarity principle is that it's actually the cornerstone to all marketing today. The familiarity principle is actually the cornerstone to a lot of your success in the workplace. The familiarity principle is actually the cornerstone to how you build and make relationships. Again, the familiar principle is the more you're around something, the more you see something, the more familiar it becomes. And by this statistical analysis, they've proven that the more familiar you are, the more you like it. That's why you're now wearing the clothes that the first time you saw somebody else wear, you're like, I will never wear that. You know those pants, those shoes, that tie, whatever that is, the first time you saw it, you're like, not over my dead body. But then you saw other people wearing it. Then you saw people you respect wearing it. Then you saw ads. And then all of a sudden, you love it. That's why there's certain foods. The first time you tasted it, you wanted nothing to do with it. Now all of a sudden, you love broccoli and you love sushi. Reminds me of uh, Friday, my son, my two-year-old, Barrett, uh, 
had a little bit of time. My wife was running some errands, and so it was a beautiful California January day, and we drove over to Santa Monica, and we're out in the boardwalk, and all he wanted to do was dig in the sand. And, you know, we've been to the beach before. It's been a while. It's probably been since the summertime. Uh, and so as we get closer to the water, uh, I, I feel, I've, oh, you know, he's grabbing onto my leg. And it's a beautiful day, and I'm thinking, what's he scared of? And he's peering around my leg, grabbing onto my leg. And I'm thinking, what, is, what does he see? Shark, you know, what is going on? And I begin to realize that he's afraid of the water rolling in. Too loud, too loud, Daddy. Scary. He had become unfamiliar with the water. He didn't like it. And he was grabbing on, no, it's sweetie, it's okay. And I got next to him, and I'm, you know, I'm holding him, and, you know, and I hold his hand, and we tiptoe and run back. You know, we do that whole thing. And so after about 15 minutes, he lets go of my hand. He starts going up, and, ah, you know, he's running back right on. 15 minutes later, I look over. He is running full speed towards the water that he was formerly unfamiliar with, formerly didn't like, now familiar with, now liking, and he tripped and he fell headlong under the water, and I had to scoop him up, and he, ah, he loved it. <laughs> the familiarity principle at work. You know what's fascinating? The way the Gospels were constructed, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four eyewitness accounts, these followers of Jesus who are basically recounting through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that which they believed would give the full picture of what it means to follow Jesus, the way of Jesus. But some of the verses that have become so familiar to us aren't included in all the gospel accounts. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen uh, it just means that for whatever reason, Matthew and Mark and John chose not to include the parable of the prodigal son or the teaching on the Good Samaritan. It's not that it didn't happen, it's just that Luke, for whatever reason, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, included that teaching. So only Luke includes the prodigal son. I mean, that's an important teaching. The Good Samaritan, only Luke includes that. Well, you know, Loving your enemies, not just loving your neighbors, but loving your enemies, that's a, that's a well-known teaching. Isn't it fascinating that only Matthew and Luke include that in their gospel accounts? The parable of the talents, only Matthew and Luke, Mark and John don't include that. You know, the parable of the, the soil, some people refer to it as the parable of the sower, you know, four different types of soil, you know, the hard rocky ground and, you know, it's referring to the gospel. That's only included in three gospel accounts, Matthew and, and Mark and Luke. Isn't that fascinating? Do you know what all four gospel writers include? Jesus teaching on what to do when you get beaten for your faith. Why don't we talk about that more? We talk about the prodigal son, and we talk about, uh, you know, the Good Samaritan. Interesting that for the gospel writers, all four of them found, perhaps, we don't know, uh, Jesus spoke so frequently about, or maybe it resonated so much, or maybe because, actually, in actual fact, they all began to get beaten for their faith. 
And they needed that strength, they needed that resource, they needed the teaching of Jesus on how to respond when that happens. So let's take a look at how they responded and let's consider what that's gonna look like in our lives, perhaps when that happens to us or our friends in the days or months or years ahead. So this is Acts chapter five, verses 17. I'm sorry, not 17, 32 through 42. You know, this is one of the beauties of preaching text uh, scripture verse by verse or chapter by chapter. You know, you get to passages like this that are so important, that are so essential, that are not included in every, any uh, top 10 list for how to, you know, get people excited about attending your church. You know, it's interesting, actually, if you were to Google or however you search the internet, uh, you know, which teaching is found in all four gospels, I could not find one list online that included Jesus' teaching on what to do when you are physically beaten for your faith, even though it's in Matthew, and it's in Mark, and it's in Luke, and it's in John, and it's the same teaching. A lot of the lists just leave that off. Uh, I don't remember in seminary and church growth classes, you know, hearing the teachers say, you know, one of the best ways in which you can get people excited about your church and grow the church is talk about what to do when they get beaten for their faith. You know, it's just, it just the culture that we live in. And yet, Justin, the martyr, said, right? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Let's take a look and let's take a listen to how they responded. Again, this is Acts chapter 5, verses 32 through, actually 33 through 42. Uh, when they heard this, this is the chief priests and the Sadducees, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, but he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him, and when they called him the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. Then every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. Okay, I want to do a little social experiment here. 
a little familiarity principle. Again, kind of the whole premise is something that you are around much, you become familiar with, and then you like a little bit more than those things that uh, you don't see and you're not around and you're unfamiliar with. So uh, how many of you, you know, really love, you know, and and I know that this is now in the context of a sermon on persecution, so try not to, you know, go teacher's pet and raise your hand too quickly, thinking it's the right answer. But just when you think about a visceral reaction as positive or negative, if it's negative, you know, keep your hands down. But if it's positive, I'd love for you just to raise your hands. When you hear Jesus saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you, how many of you would find that as a positive thing? And if so, put your hands up. Okay. Now again, you know, I know now I've set this up so you know where we're going with this sermon. We just read Acts chapter five, but so just try to think objectively, which I know is impossible by definition. Uh, When you uh, hear this, which Jesus also taught, uh, when you were beaten, rejoice. Put your hands up that if you, you feel positively like you did for I will never leave you nor forsake you. I see one hand, two hands. Many people online maybe have their hands down as well. Three hands. Now here's what's interesting. So we just saw, looking around the room, a pretty distinctly different show of hands that had nothing to do with the fact that Jesus taught both of them. But everything to do with one being much more familiar to us, I believe, than the other. We love many verses. We love much of Jesus' teaching. And yet there are certain aspects of Jesus' teaching that we've become unfamiliar with, and because we've become unfamiliar with it, we don't like it. And so what happens is, Rather than being familiar with it and liking it and actually knowing how to follow the way of Jesus in those situations, we respond the way we are familiar with how the world would respond. And so when I ask the question, what are you going to do when your friend is beaten for following Jesus, likely because you and I are unfamiliar with the following of Jesus and more familiar with how the world reacts, what are we going to do? We're going to get angry. We're going to get revenge. We're going to take matters into our own hand. We're going to get bitter. Uh, We're going to get anxious. We're going to withdraw. We're going to do all the other things that Jesus tells us not to do. And these disciples, if we think about this, give a response that actually is not surprising at all. They've been steeped in the way of Jesus. They've been living with Jesus. Jesus talks so much about one day you are going to be persecuted. Don't be surprised. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in those moments. We'll get to that teaching. I want want to show it to you in a moment. But they are so familiar with it that they actually rejoice. How countercultural is that? They rejoice because they were considered worthy for suffering dishonor at the name of Jesus. I got to be honest with you, I would not respond that way. Not because I'm less spiritual, I believe simply because I have become less familiar with that teaching of Jesus. Well, what is that teaching of Jesus? Let me show you. I can go to Matthew, I can go to Mark, I can go to Luke, I can go to John. Let's go to Matthew, chapter 10. Would you open those Bibles back up? And many of you online, I'm going through the New Revised Standard Version. Matthew 10, 16. 
which is so interesting because you might remember, you might recall, you might have some familiarity with verse 16. You might have seen it on a, you know, a devotional. Maybe you've seen it or heard somebody say it, but Matthew 16, Matthew 10, I'm going to read verses 16 uh, through 22. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Pause right there. Actually, show of hands. How many of you have heard of that phrase, wise as serpents and innocent as doves? Okay. Sadly, many of us stop right there. Or we've read a devotional that only includes just that one verse. Here's how it goes on. Verse 17, beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. Flogging, by the way, is to be beaten with a whip, some other device. Uh, there's, we're going to read later on in Acts where they are flogged, they are beaten. Uh, 40 lashes minus one because they believed in that culture that if you were beaten with that device, 40 times you would die. So they would take you just to the edge of death. This is not a slap on the wrist. This is not getting the promotion that you want because this is being beaten for your faith. And I'm sorry for saying that. And, 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 uh, no, I'm not sorry because this is, this is the text and I have to be faithful to it. But I'm so unfamiliar even preaching on this and I'm looking at some of your faces of like, would that ever happen? Jesus says, he says this. Verse 18, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, so if you're taking notes, number one, remember the question I asked, what are you gonna do when your friends get beaten for their faith? Jesus says, number one, you're taking notes on your paper, in your mind, uh, on your phone, number one, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So number two, rely on the Spirit of God. You can't plan for this. You can't orchestrate this. This is not going to be muscle memory. This is going to be spiritual memory. Do not worry. Rely on the Spirit goes on to say, verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now I want to be crystal clear, this is not saying that you have to endure and then you will receive uh, the hall pass into heaven. No, it's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But the endurance of weathering those things, the endurance of not worrying, uh, the endurance of relying on the Spirit enables you to experience on this side of eternity that which Jesus has already started when you put your faith and trust in him. Remember Philippians 1.6 says this, that God who began a good work in you in Jesus Christ will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus. And so it's this truth that this side of eternity we can experience uh, 
in part the joy and the peace, the security, the courage, the humility, the stability, that which we're going to have for all of eternity in God's presence, but we can experience that here and now in the midst of not getting a promotion, in the midst of getting fired, uh, in the midst of getting laughed off the set, in the midst of uh, being beaten for your faith. And Jesus says two things, do not worry and rely on the Holy Spirit. And apparently this resonated so much with Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that all four of them record this teaching. Only one of them talked about the prodigal son. Isn't that fascinating? And so here they find themselves, and this in Acts chapter 5 is the very first time that they are beaten for their faith. And what do they do? They didn't worry. (laughs) They relied on the Holy Spirit. They rejoiced, and they went right back to the temple, and not just the temple, now in homes as well, and they continued teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. It's so fascinating. When you look at the history of the church, in times of persecution, in times where it is illegal, uh, in times where you rationally would think, wow, that church, that, that, that movement would get stamped out, the opposite actually happens, and there is this massive explosion of followers of Jesus, because this is not cultural Christianity. You're either in or you're out. As I read an article recently, much better to have 300 engaged followers of Jesus than 3,000 observers, consumers. You know, we measure attendance. A lot, of, a lot of churches measure attendance. I wonder how we could measure this. I don't know. If you've got ideas, let us know. How our church family reacts when they are persecuted for following Jesus. Now, just as a quick 30-second aside, There's been a lot of awful things done in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of things that have been done that don't uh, reflect the heart of God. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when people are following the way of Jesus. Jesus says, don't be surprised. The world will hate you. Here's the amazing thing. The more you spend with Jesus, the more familiar you get with him. The more familiar you get with Jesus, the more you love him. However, Jesus doesn't follow the familiarity principle like anything else in the cosmos. You know why? Because it's flipped. Think of this. Jesus has eternally known you. Jesus has eternally been familiar with you. Jesus has eternally loved you. We don't love because we're familiar with Jesus. We love because God first loved us, 1 John says. So those followers of Jesus, soaked in the love of Jesus Christ, they thought about it, they prayed about it, they reflected on it, they saw the links that Jesus went to, how much he suffered out of love and out of joy for them to bring all of humanity back to him, for those who put their faith and trust in him, and they were melted by that love. And so for us, it's not about gearing ourselves up for the one day, it's about 
reflecting, studying, talking about, immersing our lives in the truth that Jesus laid down his life for us so that we might be his. And then as we think about that teaching, that one day you're going to be persecuted, and don't be worried, don't be surprised, rely on the Spirit. We will be a church that will be prepared to give a testimony to who Jesus really is. That's a hard teaching. I'm thankful that Jesus teaches it. And he doesn't just teach it and say, go off and do it. He says, I'm giving you my spirit. Rely on the spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this moment, and we thank you that even while we were here in an air-conditioned sanctuary, in a legal gathering, I'm reminded, God, that this isn't true around the globe. That in places where it's illegal, uh, places for fear of death, people are boldly proclaiming you in ways that are honoring you, glorifying you. So may we not succumb to not liking that which we find unfamiliar of your teaching, but rather, Jesus, would we study the fullness of who you are, the fullness of the life that you invite us into. May we go to Matthew 10, 16 through 21, later today. Would we pray about that? Would we say, Jesus, in advance, Prepare me for that moment to respond as an ambassador for you. Jesus, we don't know when that day will come. You do. So we trust you in the midst of it. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And we say together, amen.